BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you, the Bauer and Rose Show. Right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. We also have a podcast that we would strongly encourage you to listen to. Subscribe we wherever do? you get your podcasts. <laughs> uh, not that Bauer knows what a podcast is. Wednesday night, I missed it. I was uh, traveling. There was the undercard GOP debate. And from what I gather, and I didn't see it, it, it underwhelmed. Is that your assessment? You know, uh, first of all, welcome back to um, uh, the United States. You've you've now uh, entered a uh, an area where there should be a travel advisory exactly. issued for Jews, as your brethren at America's major universities and uh, on the streets of America's cities can attest. Uh, you could make a case that it's safer for an American Jew to be in Israel right now than it is to be any place in America that the left controls. The, the most Democrat cities in America are the cities with the most horrendous anti-Jew attacks taking place on the city streets. The most liberal universities in America are the universities with the most disgusting Hitler youth-like demonstrations going on so you might want to i hope you kept a round trip ticket here i did i did i did i'm going back okay. uh, after we've got the march Pack on tuesday in your suitcase and take <laughs> me with you <laughs> um on the debate uh i don't know tom i mean did you watch hard. it i i watched uh, in and out you know i i um it, how long was it was it a, an hour and a half or two hours or i think it was an hour and a half um but you're, you're having a debate that still is being billed as a debate to pick the Republican presidential nominee and the guy that's going to be the nominee, unless, God forbid, uh, the left is able to eradicate him in some way, is not on the stage, nor, in my view, should he be on the stage. Um, I, you know, I, I thought a number of people did OK. I, you, you know, I, uh, I tip of the hat to uh, Vivac. Uh, who I, I thought had a um, take no prisoners approach in what he said. But the thing that got me was his opening statement in which he questioned the very uh, format of the debate and said, this is disgusting. Why, why are you three people? Why have you been selected by the RNC and, and NBC to do this debate? Why isn't it, for example, Elon Musk, um, uh, Tucker, uh, Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan. And, uh, yeah, right. Uh, we'd have 10 times the audience. Uh, and then he lashed out at Ronna, uh, uh, the chair, chairwoman of the Republican National Committee for blowing yet another election cycle. Um, and I, I thought he had a, um, a great line. Uh, you know, we got to choose young leaders 
uh, unless we want to stay in the past, at which point, uh, we, you know, if you like uh, Dick Cheney, we've got uh, uh, at least two people up here on the stage wearing five inch heels and they're Dick Cheney with five inch heels. And I think he meant both Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, which was a cheap shot totally. at Ron DeSantis's height. I find that kind of short of phobia <laughs> one of the most disgusting things I have ever seen in my life. But other than that, I don't think it changed anything. They're, uh, they're anti-Semites and anti-Shortites. Yeah, right. There you go. Well put. Well put. Let's form a coalition and storm the U.N. Hey, speak for yourself, pal. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not much taller than you are. I'm, as I like to say when you go to the doctor and they ask how tall you are, I say I'm 5'8 on a good day. Well, I tell people that when I first started working with you, I was six foot three, and you've worn me down to this. <laughs> here's here's the thing that really hits me, and I know we want to talk politics. Uh, Democrats, if you read the media, and I have tangentially, I mean, I've been, uh, literally, I was traveling for 55 hours. I feel like blowing my brains out now, but I saw some headlines. I've seen some videos, and... Establishment media, corporate media, legacy media is portraying Tuesday night, and I got to be honest, I didn't really even know it was a big election night, as a huge defeat for Republicans, particularly related to the life issue, abortion, constitutional amendment passed in Ohio. I'm not even sure what it said. It legalized, I guess, certain aspects of abortion or prohibited the state legislature from banning it. Uh, how, first of all, how many people do you think even knew there were elections? And they, I guess they were in Minnesota. There was one in Mississippi. There was a statewide race in Virginia. I think that was the biggest. And then there were a couple of referendums on the ballot in Ohio. Yeah, I think the Ohio life vote, uh, the Virginia elections, and uh, falling short in Kentucky, Kentucky were things that a lot of um, a, a lot of you know activists certainly uh, zeroed in on. But no, nobody really thought. Bashir was going to get beat in Kentucky, right? I mean, that's royalty yeah, down no, there. The, the level of analysis, Tom, is not has not been as usual very good. Uh, you know, well, well, Kentucky's a red state, and you know, Donald Trump got involved, and he blew it all up. You know, he didn't blow it all up. Um, the 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 failure there, I think, was that uh, our side could not nationalize the gubernatorial election. They tried to connect the governor to Biden, but they weren't able to do it. Maybe they should have done a better job of that. I also hear, and I know Cameron, I like Cameron. Uh, he told me in an event a couple of years ago he got into politics because of me. Uh, no wonder he lost. Which, which I believe was turned into an ad by the uh, Democrats. And, but um, the, uh, they ran an ad, uh, a disgusting ad. All right, I have to turn my mic off because I'm laughing too hard, and no one's listening because I'm laughing. Go ahead. They, they ran a disgusting ad of a 12-year-old girl who said she had been raped and that Cameron wouldn't let her get an abortion. Um, of course, Cameron, the the law on the books in Kentucky has been on the books for a long time, and it 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 severely restricts abortions. Uh, Cameron didn't pass that. I mean, the governor, if he wants something passed differently in Kentucky, can introduce it in the state legislature. But it shows you the kind of the only thing they've got may be this issue and their distortion of the issue. 
the Ohio referendum, we were outspent massively, two to one. I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars. And it is a terrible referendum. It amended the state constitution. And it basically doesn't allow any restrictions on abortion for any reason at any time. And a state that is pro-life. But if you... you What was turnout? What was turnout? I think the turnout was was pretty good. Uh, But I, I think, again... What people were hearing in the ads is the Republicans want to ban abortion, even in the cases of rape, incest and the life of the mother. And that is nobody is proposing that. Nobody. So in other words, there weren't a lot of ads touting Bidenomics, the growth in our economy, the magnificent performance of all the economic indicators, the huge raises people are getting, our greatly enhanced national security, our Finally closed and secure southern border, the complete diminishment of crime in our cities, how our cities are now safe now. So you're saying that all of this was <laughs> was a portion. I mean, they got nothing else to run on. They literally have nothing else to run on. Well, that that's a whole nother, uh, I think, very revealing uh, point and discussion in Virginia, Tom. It's hard to get dig down and analyze it. But, you know, the the Democrats had controlled basically the whole ball of wax at some point a, a few years ago. And they redrew all the lines for the House, State House and the State Senate. And uh, they they drew those lines to their advantage. I mean, which is what people have been. doing. That's what we years, ought right? to do in every state we control. Right. But we some for I some know. reason lose our you know will. We want to be the good citizen party. We play by right. right. We play by Marcus of Queensbury rules. They play by Grand Theft Auto rules. Look, I think we're beginning to at this point insult the Marcus, who I understand could <laughs> throw a punch when it was necessary. Um, yeah, I. So we, we actually outperformed in a number of state senate seats Biden's vote in those same districts, mm-hmm. but still lost the races. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So uh, but I tell you what it did do. There was a lot of buzz about if if Youngkin could take hold the House and take back back the Senate. It was not too late for him to jump into the presidential race and stop Donald Trump. I mean, Fox News was pushing that nonstop. Then when it all went south, the next morning they were going, well, as you uh, as you know, there's been a lot of media speculation that. If Yunkin did well, he could have emerged as the guy that stopped Trump. But uh, the people saying that certainly have egg on their face today. That was you. <laughs> the same guy saying that on Fox the day before was hoping, hoping that Yunkin would give them, you know, the. I mean, how many times do you have to say you're not running for pre- this guy has never bought into any of that. He's never trucked with any of it. He's never given the slightest indication he was remotely interested. He repeatedly denies he has any interest. They keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And then the next day you read in the New York Times, Glenn Yunkin's political future is over. He never he, he never had the slightest interest in getting into that race. Well, as you know, Tom, when you're so adamant in denying you're running, that is taken as proof positive that you're running. <laughs> it's the, I, I, <laughs> the unfalsifiable I, hypothesis, as they used well, to say. Back t- in 2000, when I said, you know what? I think I'm running. Everybody says, oh, no, he's, he's not. not. <laughs> <laughs> he's not. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Well, can I uh, switch gears just for a second? Please, please. Uh, <laughs> because all the, you know, actually, all this stuff is linked 
to what we've been talking about for weeks in right. its own bizarre way. You know? I, I just think we're now in this uh, switching back to Israel Hamas, which which directly affects every one of our tens of listeners, no matter where on the planet you might be listening. We're in this dangerous dynamic. Uh, you read in the papers and hear on TV about the growing divergence between the U.S. and Israel. You've got the president and the secretary of state basically gaslighting Israel. You know, don't do something that you would never do anyway. Don't violate the laws of war, which Israel never does. And in the weeks since this war started, it's getting worse. Biden is now attempting to support Israel at the very same time he's supporting Hamas, pushing for this ceasefire, this new story that is being leaked by administration officials. Oh, definitely. That, you know, there's a hostage deal that's imminent. It was almost there until Israel's ground invasion began on the 27th. The ceasefire pressure that Biden is putting on Israel, the U.S. claims there's this hostage release deal from Hamas, and all Hamas is demanding is a five-day ceasefire, and they'll release 10 to 15 hostages. Now, if Israel accepts this, in my humble opinion, this would be a total, complete disaster. Hamas gets to dictate the pace, it it gets to dictate the terms, and it gets to dictate which hostages it it releases, and then on day four of the five-day pause, there'll be pressure to extend it. Hamas is given, Biden is giving Hamas all the leverage, If they don't dribble out all their hostages and give them all away at once, that seeds all their leverage. Why is Biden not pressuring Hamas to release the hostages to the the same extent that he's pressuring Israel to engage in this ceasefire? Uh, We know what Hamas does during ceasefires. They kidnap Israeli soldiers. Israel says that they've neutralized about 150 tunnels. Well, they estimate there are between 1,000 and 1,500 tunnels. So while Israelis are... 300 miles total in distance. While Israelis are exposed inside Gaza during this ceasefire, when they're not supposed to fire, there'll be plenty of tunnels that'll pop up open. We saw this. They did this the last time in 2014 with Hadar Golden, who's a household name in Israel, killed by Hamas, his body taken to Gaza, and it's being held for ransom. They come out of tunnels. They place all the forces at risk. Uh, It totally undermines the operational tempo of the IDF. Uh, there they are. They're moving. They have to stop. Let Hamas resupply. Uh, the whole thing. Uh, what is going on with President Biden? Why does he not see what anyone with two eyes, two ears and a brain can see in here? What uh, what Joe Biden is worried about, Tom, is not the existential threat to Israel. He is worried about the existential threat to the Democrat Party coalition. Doesn't that make it even more despicable that he's worried yes, about three it- precincts in Michigan? It, it, well, it's I think it's probably more serious than that. Um, the the um, Democrats under the age of 35 uh, are uh, basically split completely over who's the good guys. So the rising Democrat Party is will be an anti-Semitic party. This is something that I hope to God that the Jewish community in America and future Israeli governments 
catch on to quickly because it, it will be a big problem for Israel when their security and their ally will depend on who wins the last presidential election. In contrast to the past, where this was as close to bipartisanship as an issue as you could come. Um, they, they are scared to death about Michigan, Minnesota. They're scared to death that these left-wing students on the university campuses, which are being are turning out in mass in elections to vote both at the university, and I, no doubt a number of them also send absentee ballots home in whatever state they're from, that those people are going to show up and they're going to vote for one of the third-party candidates uh, or, the you know, the green candidate or whatever. And, and you know, as we know, uh, Tom, uh, Wisconsin, uh, Georgia, Arizona, uh, Trump lost each of those by uh, 1% or less. <clears throat> so just a few thousand votes in those three states could end up uh, but you realize uh, what w- the the reaction that this has this argument has in Israel they're saying wait a second if german chancellor schultz i'm just picking a leader out of the top of my head if german chancellor schultz starts putting all kinds of pressure on the us to uh, dramatically change its national security posture because he's worried about losing uh, Mecklenburg and uh, Upper Thuringia in the next Bundestag election. We'd laugh in his face. Uh, uh, who? Uh, I'm try- yeah. Obviously, the U.S. Uh, provides great support to Israel, but this isn't 1973. It's not 1967. Today, Israel provides great support to the United States, great technical support, great uh, military and the uh, military defense uh, innovation technologies, the Iron Dome, the Aero weapon system, the Tamir weapon system, almost every piece of uh, intellectual property inside your cell phone was created in Israel. So these, it, you know, it is a two-way street, and Biden's myopic focus on his re-election to the point where he's prepared, without any pang of conscience, to undermine what Israel regards as a, as a war of physical survival because he's worried about an election. I mean, that just blows my mind, as they say. No, it should. It should. By, by the way, your point on how much of our phones have Israeli technology. And when I turn my phone on in the morning, the Israeli national anthem is the first thing to play. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, that's why you don't know how to use your phone. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so uh, now I know you haven't forgotten this, Tom. This this gang at the White House, led by Jake Sullivan and taking their orders from Barack Obama, wants to reorder our, our major alliance in the Middle East, improbably to be an alliance of Iran and the United States. I mean, it's, it's insanity, but it's, the signs are everywhere. Why else? We're, we're sending a message that we've had 47 attacks by Iranian proxies on U.S. soldiers. They're sitting ducks in Iraq and, and Syria. And we've responded by blowing up two empty warehouses. Tool, empty tool sheds, basically. Tool sheds. Right. Because we don't want – it's not only that you, you know we, we don't want to get into a war. Well, who wants to get into a war? But we, we, our new rule of war is you cannot kill the enemy. At all costs, the enemy must not be killed. That would be a war crime if you kill the enemy. So uh, it is sending a message because they did it again yesterday and promptly four more attacks on our, our bases in Iraq and Syria. The message that's being sent is 
um, use your proxies to attack the American interest, and they will do absolutely nothing that matters back. The, the more dangerous message being sent is uh, arm and train a mob of uh, uh, Hitler wannabes to enter Israel and massacre civilians, rape children, cut off babies' heads, drag 250 of them back as hostages, and we'll reward you with a state. The other demand now that, that the Biden is making is that when this little inconvenience is over, that uh, Israel set up in Gaza and in, in what the White House calls the West Bank, but what most normal people that have any knowledge of history call Judea and Samaria, uh, unless they set up a, a, uh, the, the workings of a Palestinian state, there's going to be hell to pay for Israel because we're going to insist on that. Who knew? I mean, my goodness, they, if if the if Hamas would have known they could get a state out of this, another, you know, Hamasistan, I guess, would it be its name? Uh, they would have come in and uh, massacred people a lot earlier than this. And everybody that we turn to and look to as quote unquote moderates from the PA, all the top leadership congratulated Hamas, supported Hamas. Uh, uh, supported the massacres. There was no condemnation from any senior PA official of Hamas or the Hamas attack. So our answer to preventing another 10-7 from Gaza is to create a bigger, more contiguous terror state controlled by the descendants of Hamas and the PA. It's absolute. It, trying to think of an analogy, and I know the Hitler analogy is overplayed, but sometimes it's accurate. And I think this time it's accurate because there's no difference between the goals and objectives of Hamas and even of leadership of the PA, which has never renounced their ultimate goal of destroying the state of Israel, and Adolf Hitler's Nazi Germany. There's no difference whatsoever in goals, in objectives. There's a difference in capability. Hitler had it. Hamas and the PA don't. And there's a difference in the Jewish people's ability to defend themselves. Back then they didn't. Today we do. That's the only difference. The only difference is capability, not will or intent. And we fall for this every single time. Yeah, no, it's... uh it's it's a terrible situation, Tom. And um, you know, I, I in discussing all this, you got to be very careful about the words you use because the left is ready to jump on us, you know, if, and read between the lines or whatever. But uh, you you know, the uh, Anti Defamation League did a study a number of years ago, and they've upgraded it a couple of times about the level of anti Semitism around the world and uh, by country. And in the United States, um, what they do is they ask 10 questions. And if you get if you answer six of them in a way that suggests you believe certain anti-Semitic tropes about Jews controlling mm-hmm. banking and you know, things like that, that makes you an anti-Semite. Well, in the United States, when they did that study, they came up with something around nine, 10 percent of the population fit that definition, which is sad. Uh, but it's a pretty small percentage compared to the rest of the world. When you look at countries throughout Latin America, 
uh, the percentage was more like 25, 30 percent. And when you look at countries through a good bit of Africa and the Middle East, the percentages are like 75, 80 percent. What about what about Western Europe? They're right. off. They're off the charts in France. They're off the charts in in Great Britain. They're they're growing dramatically. And ironically, the only part of uh, the European continent that isn't infested with this is Eastern Europe, which is where Jews used to live. And most of the Holocaust took place in what is modern day Ukraine, the shooting pits and uh, the, the death camps that uh, the Nazis established in Poland near the Ukrainian border. And I wonder if that might have something to do with the fact that they haven't really encouraged... Uh, exiles from ISIS and Syria and Iraq by the tens, by the hundreds of thousands to make their new homes in Poland or uh, the Baltic states or Romania or Hungary. The fact that they've controlled their borders in an attempt to try and protect their heritage, their tradition, their culture. The safest place in Europe today for a Jew is in Poland or, or Hungary. Right. And they're under intense pressure from the United States and the European Union to join this suicide pact that the West has made by accepting large amounts of people infected with this radical jihadist, uh, what I call Islamofascism. The, the overall point I was going to make, Tom, is that every year when a new class of freshmen has been accepted to the major universities in America. And every day that 10,000 more illegal migrants enter the United States, America becomes predictably a greater anti-Semitic country. And uh, American Jews that give a lot of money to universities, I think, have caught on. Every day there's a new story about... um, uh, about people uh, cutting off funds to these universities. But the Jewish community nationwide has also been a big supporter of migration and immigration. And I don't think the mainstream Jewish organizations have caught on yet that they buy no goodwill by the people uh, among the people that are coming in under this. In fact, they are making the one place in the world that um, Jews have felt relatively safe they're destroying that in, uh, unconsciously, unknowingly, every day we have uh, these open borders. I think that <clears throat> these Jewish organizations now do get it. I also think they're too terrified to mention it. They're too afraid to act upon it. They're too invested in the establishment of these one-way alliances that Jewish organizations have built over the past 50 years. And when I say a one-way alliance... I'm putting Gary Bauer to sleep here. He's yawning. Um, this, this, uh, 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 not enough coffee this morning, Tom. <laughs> this, this one way alliance. I heard, I read something in the New York Times. A uh, leader of one of these uh, left wing Jewish groups says, you know, we're always there when they, when they need us, but they're never there. They're never here for us when we need them. We need to work harder at convincing them. That we're their friends. So when bad things happen to us, they'll be with us. Hello? 1,400 Jews were just slaughtered in the most diabolical, medieval, barbaric manner one could ever imagine. And you say if 
things get worse for Jews, you'll come to our assistance when they're the first ones out celebrating and chanting from the river to the sea. I know a lot of people, and this is even on our favorite cable news channel, Fox News, will say or try and point out the ignorance of a lot of the people at these rallies and marches. And there's no question a lot of them are ignorant, but a lot of them. A heck of a lot of them, Gary Lee Bauer, know damn well what they're cheering for, what they know doggone well, pardon me, exactly what the objective is and exactly what they want, which is the destruction of the state of Israel as a route, as a pathway to the destruction of the United States of America. They know damn well what they're out there for. You're you're right, Tom. And I I have to admit that it, it it's like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. When I hear uh, folks, well-meaning folks, and, and as you point out, I'm hearing it usually on Fox, uh, you know, Ainsley and some of the others saying, well, we, we, these kids are just not educated. They're, they're just not educated. Uh, and and they, it, once they get educated, they'll, they'll do the right thing. No, no, no. It's, you, you see, it is an you know, unwillingness to acknowledge there is something called evil. And that every generation has to deal with the fact that evil people want to bring great harm to moral people and good people. And that the whole world's history is a history of good and decent societies trying to defend themselves from one degree or other of barbarians. That's exactly. Uh, I mean, I, Genesis 8.21 in Hebrew, Yetzer HaAdam, Yetzer HaAdam. I'm now I'm screwing it up. Yetzer Adam Rahamanurav. The inclination of man is to do evil from his youth. Meaning goodness has to be taught. The inclination, if you if you rip it all off, if you rip the veneer of civilization off is 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 barbarism and that's why goodness has got to be taught it's got to be preached on a day-to-day basis to each and every generation because evil is there it's not something you know out there in the ether there's you know a latent tendency in each of us which is what we have to fight and now since we don't fight it anymore since everything is out there everything is outside and all of us are good and pure and sweetness and 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 light as the morning dew when evil things do happen, we don't have the moral resource or the knowledge base, i.e. the Bible, to fall back on to remind us and teach us that evil is there, it's omnipresent, it's everywhere all the time, waiting to jump out of the box like a jack-in-the-box. And that's why we have to work so hard to keep the, the jack-in-the-box. Yeah, uh, and Tom, this is, I mean, Jews are, are right. To, to be feeling deep anxiety. I, uh, I didn't make a note of which university it was. It was one of the, one of the big ones. Uh, apparently yesterday, uh, a radical group on campus blocked Jewish students from getting to their class. I think it was Tulane, wasn't it? Was it? Um, that, I mean, that's just, can you imagine any other group of students at any American university? What if a group tried to stop gays from getting to their classes? It wouldn't work because the police would be there. The university administrators would be there. The media would be there. The, the, the culture warriors would. Can you imagine a KKK rally preventing blacks from trying to get to campus? They'd be shot. It wouldn't happen because the system would not allow it to happen. 
Well, look, and if, if you and I were in a university, I, I, uh, I think highly enough of you and of myself that if I was at a university where a group was trying to block blacks from getting to a class. Yeah, I'd get in a physical fight. I would try to organize whites to go with the black students and basically say to the people trying to stop them, oh, yeah? Right. You know, uh, my old friend, uh, uh, Pastor Hagee, uh, has been saying for years to those who hate the Jews and and would, uh, you know, have dreams of coming for them again, you need to know. This time, there is a circle around the Jews of Christians, and you're going to have to come through us to get to them. And he means it. He means it. As as we, you, you know, so it, to me, it's disappointing that university administrators aren't willing to say, we will do whatever we have to do security-wise to escort our Jewish students to class and to kick out of school anybody that tries to stop them. I'm also depressed and discouraged by the fact that students on campus who are not Jews, but know that this narrative that what happened in Israel was somehow Israel's fault, would not step up and say to their Jewish classmates, uh, hey, I got five guys from the fraternity here. Uh, we'll walk you to class and we'll hang out until the class is over. And then we'll all go out and have a cup of coffee. And by the way, I might ask you out on a date. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, no, I think uh, I, I think Biden handled that well last week when he announced that he's going to respond to this explosion of anti-Semitism, unlike anything we've seen in the history of the country. We're putting Kamala Harris in charge of uh, fighting Islamophobia. And announcing, yes, announcing this special initiative uh, that that to fight an, uh, anti-Islamic. Uh, uh, the ones uh, fueling anti-Semitism are now regarded as victims that need to be protected by the White House. Yeah. Now, Tom, I, you know, you've been out of the country. You probably have missed the marches of uh, in major U.S. cities that often have large. Um, uh, Jewish communities. Uh, there's been marches of Jews in those cities uh, throwing rocks into uh, stores that are owned by Muslims and and uh, ripping the head coverings off of Muslim women and uh, burning. It's a terrible scourge. Flags. It's a terrible, terrible scourge. Yeah, I, there's none of that. None, zero. If there is a group in America that could have suffered. What the Jewish people of Israel suffered a little over a month ago and not engage in violence over it, I'd like to see who it is. But, you know, the American Jews, they're good people. Uh, they, they won't do that. All we're seeing is the opposite. And you've got the president of the United States, the vice president of the United States, uh, blah, blah, blahing about uh, we oppose all hate crimes. Well, fine, but you oppose this specific wave of hate crimes that's taking place right now, perpetrated by one particular group, targeting another per uh, a particular group. Don't give me this stuff about we oppose all hate crimes. Address the one that is Right there in your face. Yeah. And when Barack Obama says we're all culpable, no, we're not all culpable, Barack. You're culpable. You know, we should have seen this coming. He says, no, we did see it coming. You didn't. We've been sleepwalking into this for 40 years now since we've lost sight 
not by negligence, but by design of what our country stands for. We can't even define our core values and traditions anymore, much less defend them, because we now have two generations of Americans who've been educated that the American balance sheet is in severe deficit. And I'm not speaking of our fiscal balance sheet, which certainly isn't deficit. I'm talking about our moral balance sheet, where people no longer have any power uh, to challenge uh, the narrative that's spun by Biden and the far left. Biden obviously can't spin any narrative. He can't even put a sentence together. But the far left that controls Biden, um, that is uniting a growing number of Americans against America, and it, this has been going on for decades. It's um, unfortunately, Tom Pe- uh, Pence. Uh, Biden had a. Um, Did you just call moment. me Pence? Uh, no, I, I was calling <laughs> Biden Pence. Oh. Even worse. Uh, uh, Biden had a good moment yesterday. He was campaigning somewhere, and some guy in the audience tripped over a chair and fell. And uh, Biden's head goes over. He goes. I want the media to realize that was not me, (laughs) which even he realizes he's not only having a hard time walking, he's having a hard time talking. Uh, Tom, did I mention this in a previous Bauer and Rose show? I'm going to mention it again because sometimes the massive audience we have doesn't catch every show. But you're talking about the warnings we had. Uh, There was the terrible event in Ferguson, Missouri, terrible because it got so blown out of proportion and was used once again to divide America on the basis of race. Yet some thug down there uh, gets in a confrontation with a police officer. The police officer ends up shooting him. And uh, after he after after he reached for his gun. Right. The narrative was that the kid had held his hands up and said, hands up, don't shoot. All a lie. Remember, remember, he was a valedictorian. Lie. He was on his way to college. Lie. He was called the gentle giant by his friends. Lie. Yeah. 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 The same way Goliath was called a gentle giant (laughs) by his uh, colleagues. Um, So but but poor little Ferguson was subjected and America was subjected to weeks of false narrative. Uh, the, the just the, the Democrats wouldn't let it go. They were desperate to be able to show this as another example of police brutality. But people started leftists started flying in and and uh, black American leaders started flying into Ferguson. And there were daily big demonstrations, thousands of people. When the sun would go down, there would be uh, rioting, looting, etc. Um And during, uh, I think, around the second or third week of all this going on, at the rallies, all the favorite chants would start, you know, against the police. But I noticed, and then others, not a lot of them, but others began to write about it. These crowds of leftists and, and black Americans would break spontaneously into the chant from the river to the sea, Palestine would build, will be free. In Ferguson, Missouri, around a shooting between a cop and a, a teenage thug. And a few enterprising reporters would go to the demonstrators and say, what the heck? What has this got to do with the Middle East? And the answers were always the same. The way 
the Jews treat the Palestinians is the way the police and the American establishment treats people of color. We're all in the same boat together. It was a, this oppressed oppressor narrative again. And all the way back in Ferguson, how deeply it had extended into black America was already evident. You know, these Gen Z activists that are out there protesting against everything, against every insult, against every slight, these coddled, sensitive minds defend unthinkable cruelty, torture, barbarity, a generation that congratulates itself on its moral superiority and being committed to tolerance for the LGBTQH community, racial, racial equality, racial equity, support mass genocide. The same people offended by comedians and who demand safe spaces and little toys to protect them against hearing any opinion that's different than their own now openly support and defend those attempting to perpetrate another genocide, another Holocaust against the Jewish people? Do you notice the complete absence for calls at any of these demonstrations for dialogue or debate from these these, these pro-genocide uh, marchers and demonstrators. They're not saying we demand a two-state solution where each state can live uh, in uh, security and peace within recognized boundaries. Instead, all we get, and you alluded to this earlier, are rhymes about genocide, are rhymes about bullying and intimidation. By any means necessary, that's the other sign you see at all these demonstrations by any means necessary that means cutting babies heads off taking babies alive putting them into ovens while their parents are forced to watch burning them alive murdering parents in front of children murdering children in front of parents beheading people murdering nursing home patients in their bed kidnapping six-month-old babies. I wouldn't be surprised, God forbid. I wouldn't be surprised if these tiny little babies, if these pure, sweet, little three-year-old toddlers are close to Yahya Sinwar and Ismail Haniya, the two leaders of Hamas. I wouldn't be surprised. They use their own people as human shields. Why wouldn't they use the most innocent, the most vulnerable of these hostages to protect them from the wrath of the IDF? I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. You're absolutely right. Well, look, I mean, if I I think from everything we've seen, wherever this evil uh, uh, comes out of the caverns of hell, uh, whether it's ISIS or Al-Qaeda or, or the others, uh, Islamic State, all the rest of it. We see it over and over and over again. I, I, I shudder to think of what's happening to little six, seven, eight-year-old Israeli girls that have been taken. Uh, you, you know, Tom, in, in Afghanistan, it, it is a custom in some uh, Islamic uh, tribal areas for adult men uh, to have boys dance for them. There's a name for these boys, and then they uh, they sexually molest the boys. And when U.S. soldiers seeing this would try to stop it, uh, our Pentagon ordered them to not interfere with the traditions of the country that uh, we were defending. That's outrageous. That is outrageous. So, um, look, look, I, I mean, I. 
there are no words for this. I, I, I think that um, I, I think worse things are going to happen in, 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 the, in the weeks ahead. I, I, I can't necessarily verbalize what it's going to be. There's a big march coming up, you know, next week here in D.C. Do you know about that, Tom? All yeah, of the- course. Yes, I'm going. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Are you? Great. Yes. Yes. That's are you speaking. No, that's why I'm here. I'm, you're going. Aren't you? Yes. Well, I, you well, know, I'm going to I'm going to try. I mean, uh, well, I, you know, I'll uh, well, I'm a little bit older than you. Well, I can't uh, run as fast. <laughs> we'll connect because I think it's uh, uh, something anyone within and you had this in your end of day. I guess it was Tuesday. I didn't read yesterday's, but I just I just shouldn't have admitted that. But I, I haven't read yesterday's no, yet. No, well, uh, that I uh, anyone to read it to you immediately. Anyone that's able to go uh, that lives in the tri-state area. It's not called Trump. What is it called? Delmarva or something? Anyone that uh, lives in the Washington, D.C. area the that can make it uh, to this rally, it's critically important. It starts, it's on the mall, I think at 1 p.m., sponsored by uh, United Jewish Federations of America, um, all the big groups um, that are supportive of Israel. Kufi is a co-sponsor. Um, I think you guys are a co-sponsor. We need people out there. We need yeah, people out there. I'm hearing estimates of a, of a half million people. I hope it's that. I hope it's even bigger than that. Uh, Tom, I, I wonder, you know, what will the Biden administration do leading up to this? And what will the District of Columbia do? Uh, that D.C. police are not going to be able to handle this if there are <clears throat> people on the other side. That we, and we know they're in these universities. They're. Uh, all over the place in this area. They don't have to take buses to get here. They're here. What if there's, you know, trouble? Well, then they would have to miss their uh, history of queer gender bending uh, metallic yarn production seminars at their universities. You made reference to uh, our objection, America's objection to doing anything to interfere with what are frankly barbaric Muslim customs. There's an anecdote, a story. It's actually a true story. One of my... British, right? Yeah. Sir Charles Napier. He was the poster child for proper 19th century multiculturalism. He was the British High Commissioner in India. And he was forced early in his tenure, in the early uh, 19th century, to confront the Hindu tradition of sati, which was the practice of burning widows on the funeral pyres of their dead husbands. And his answer to that was, you say that it's your custom to burn widows. That's fine. We also have a custom in the United Kingdom. When men burn a woman alive, we tie a rope around their necks and hang them until they die. You can build your funeral pyres if you must. Beside it, my carpenters will build a gallows. You can follow your customs, but we're going to follow ours too. Well, no finer story has ever been told, and you and I have talked about this before, that that uh, that is a an antidote to today's uh, ludicrous multiculturalism. The idea that uh, all cultures are the same and have a right to uh, equal uh, respect and and dignity, uh, just because you think your culture is superior to that culture over there, uh, shows your superiority complex. It's all part of their open border ideology, right? <laughs> it's a good point. Uh, it doesn't matter if Poland's ninety eight percent Poles 
or 98% Middle Eastern Muslims. It'll still be Poland. No, it won't. I mean, it's just... Uh, I, you know, an, know interesting, an interesting fact, uh, Douglas Murray points this out in a, a lot of his books and readings, is that for all this talk about multiculturalism, um, what's, what's interesting is that all these people who extol the virtues of all these cultures, they all happen to live in just one of them. And that's the Judeo-Christian culture of the West. You don't hear much talk about multiculturalism in sub-Saharan Africa. You don't hear a great deal about the virtues of gender-bending LGBTQH rallies in communist China or um, Indonesia. You get the point. All the talk about multiculturalism comes from one culture and one culture only, and that's ours. Yeah. Um, Tom, I remember when the debate was going really hot in Scandinavia about uh, whether they should uh, be bringing in large numbers of uh, men from Islamic countries. And of course, every progressive worth their uh, their their weight uh, was all for it. Um, the same people that believed in feminism and women's rights and how dare you put your hand on my knee. That's the same thing as rape. Uh, were, uh, you know, they were putting out this thing where you had to get a, a woman to sign a contract on a date. On a date. You could put your arm around her. Before you could her kiss her or something, right. So I remember um, uh, this film clip I saw where a, a group of Muslim men had arrived Young Muslim men had arrived at a train station in one of these Scandinavian cities, and they're coming off the train station. And waiting at the train station for them were young Swedish girls, uh, all of them looking like the stereotype of a young Swedish girl, a a woman, a number of them wearing uh, flimsy T-shirts. And that was it. Uh, They weren't wearing anything underneath. And uh, they were holding up signs we love migrants. And these Muslims were walking by, looking at each other, looking at the women, looking at each other and probably saying, did we die or go to heaven? <laughs> these are 30 virgins or whatever. So, you know, you can laugh about it. But now in Sweden and in these other countries, they no longer release the ethnic background of the rapists. These were societies that had virtually no rape because the women in these societies were willing to do about anything you, you, <laughs> you didn't need to. to. You, know? you didn't need to. Look, here's, right. a, here's the question, and we'll end it with this. It's a rhetorical one. If you generally believe that sati, which is the old Hindu practice, it's now banned, by the way. It's been banned for over a century is morally acceptable um, and no worse than anything that our culture does. What do you think our society would look like if we shared it with a huge majority or significant minority of people who agreed that burning a widow on the funeral pyre of her husband is morally acceptable? What if half of the people in your town believed that sati was acceptable? Do you think it would be a place where senior women might feel comfortable retiring to with their senior men. I'm wondering uh, if if um, the villages in Florida uh, had a huge 
significant minority of people who believed in Satie. Do you think women would feel comfortable there retiring with their men? I don't think so. I think think older women would start taking care of the health of their husbands a lot more than they do today. (laughs) No, it's a terrible thing, and and all cultures are not not equal. And, And the reason cultures like the culture of Israel, the culture of the United States is what we are is that we're built by and large on on the ideas and concepts of the Bible, that human beings are made in the image of God. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if you're a newborn with Down syndrome or a 99-year-old with dementia. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, how much money you have in the bank. Being made in the image of God in Western civilization, you have dignity, value, and worth. There's a certain default position. You are a human being and you are to be treated a certain way. Now, if you engage in evil things, you lose your presumption of dignity and punishment is forthwith. But civilizations built on this idea have brought more freedom, more liberty, more opportunity for more people of all races and backgrounds than any competing system in the world. And we appear to be in the middle of having to learn the lesson again with uh, before we commit cultural suicide. I mean, great nations don't die by war or by conquest. They die bit by bit until one day we wake up and realize we don't need to sign a formal instrument of surrender because it's been done piecemeal over the previous decades. I just think I fear that we've created a culture where our enemy is able to hide in plain sight, as they say. Uh, Half the political establishment, if not more, is working to upgrade our enemies into, into criminal defendants. If that, and the media seeks to, you know, dignify murderers, terrorists, barbarians as militants, or even, and I read this, I think it was in The Guardian, the Hamas attack activists. Activists were the ones that beheaded small babies. Constantly being called uh, activists. My Uh, mother was an activist when she went to PTA meetings. Right. Yeah, I heard a lot of stories about your mom. (laughs) You did not mess with... You certainly did not. You certainly did not. That is for sure. No more than you would mess with Spike Bauer, who (laughs) was also an activist. And there's nobody who learned that. There's nobody who learned that lesson about my mother more than my father, who dared not. (laughs) By the way, happy two... What is it? 278-year... Uh, birthday to the United States Marine Corps. Amen. Formed on the day that we're making this uh, podcast in 1775, formed before there was officially a country and has proudly fought in every American war and in every case acquitted uh, themselves well. Simplify, I tell you, that's a that's a great way to end the show. Have a terrific weekend. I would encourage all Colts fans and Redskins. Oh, I said Redskins. I shouldn't have said that. But uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) have a great weekend. God bless Gary Bauer. God bless all of you. Catch us again. Don't forget this. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts or catch us next week right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. Have a great week.